All right, you guys, I need to give you a warning because today's show is powerful. I want you to imagine the clapping emojis between each of those syllables. Because today, on this episode of Too Much to Handle, I chat with listener Kylie, who, like many of you, is a type A high achiever and total scholastic rock star who is actually struggling with imposter syndrome. Now, I bring an expert, Bridget Todd, one of my personal heroes, to discuss why high achieving women are more prone to imposter syndrome and how to fight against negative self-talk and squash feeling like a fraud for good. At the end of the episode, we give some tangible tips to help you in your everyday life. So let's get to it. When I was growing up, I was always told that I was too much to handle. I was too loud, too opinionated, too demanding, just plain too much. Now, as an adult, I celebrate these qualities within myself and within the women I know. This is a call to action. This is a space to own your too muchness. This is too much to handle. I am so excited to welcome Too Much to Handle listener Kylie to the show. Hi, Kylie. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Good. Well, you actually sent me a DM and you asked about something called imposter syndrome, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. But if you're not, Imposter syndrome is basically a belief that you are inadequate and incompetent, uh, that you're a failure, despite evidence that indicates you're actually quite skilled and very successful. You feel like a fraud. Now, I know I feel this way all the time, at some point, probably every day in my life, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have too, and you said that you're actually headed to medical school in July. And you got accepted to three schools, which congratulations. Thank but you. But you also said as the acceptances started rolling in, you started to feel self-doubt creeping in. You're worried that you won't do well in medical school and if you can do well enough to match into a competitive specialty. And now you really want some tips for dealing with self-doubt, especially when you're taking such a big leap in your professional life. And you're really curious where the line is between being honest about self-doubt and faking it till you make it. So I, I applaud you for asking this question and for having this introspection because I think we all wonder where that line is. Um, and again, like thank you for being vulnerable because it can be really scary to admit that you feel like a fraud and admit your insecurities because if you really do feel like you're a fraud saying wait i feel like a fraud only sort of bolsters that insecurity absolutely um, so is there anything else that you want to add to your story before we really dive in i mean you did a great job summing it up i guess i would add that before i started getting acceptances so leading up to just the application process in general Mm -hmm. my my overall feelings were very hopeful. 
And I found myself saying a lot, you know, if I get an interview invite, I know I'll kill the interview. I know they'll, they'll see the potential in me. So Mm -hmm. I was feeling almost empowered to prove these people wrong, these imaginary people who I thought I needed to prove wrong in the first Mm -hmm. place. And so it's odd that as I was, you know, getting accepted and as I was receiving the external validation, it's not as if, you know, the imposter syndrome got worse. That's really when it started. Mm. So it only started when I started receiving external validation. And then, like you said, I was kind of like, did I deceive these people? Mm-hmm. If they think, if they, th- if so many, if so many of these people think that I'm good enough, quote unquote, did I, then I'm I lying to them in some way. Yeah. You know, and. I- yeah. I love that you said, I love that you said prove imaginary people wrong because that's what it is, is oftentimes we have these expectations in our head of what other people are thinking, what people are looking at as, looking at us as, uh, but it is just all in our head. Um, I, I empathize with you because I went through a very similar experience when I went to college. I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there, that I had fooled them somehow to get in, um, that everybody around me was so much more intelligent and better equipped to be there. But we're not alone in this. Research from 2011 suggests that approximately 70% of people will experience at least one episode of imposter syndrome in their lives. And it's especially prevalent among women considered to be high achievers. Now, sometimes we experience this when we're going to approach a new job or going to school, like you're talking about. But a lot of people battle these feelings of incompetency, incompetency for their entire lives. And there's a lot of ways that this can manifest for us. Uh, Sometimes it's worrying that you're not going to live up to expectations. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. And that's what you're experiencing. Uh, Sometimes it, it manifests in avoiding extra responsibilities. We attribute success to outside factors. Women like to say, oh, I just got lucky instead of I worked my ass off. Mm -hmm, Completely. Uh, Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then the most dangerous one is sometimes it can manifest as self-sabotage. So I want to avoid that for you and I want to avoid that for all of our listeners. So I want to get in some tips to avoiding this, but also understanding imposter syndrome a little bit better. Uh, I could talk about my own uh, dealings with imposter syndrome, but I really want to bring in somebody who knows what they're talking about. I want to bring in an expert and I, I am bringing in somebody who I personally have been a fan for for a very long time, Bridget Todd. Now, Bridget Todd got her start teaching courses on writing and social change at Howard University. Since then, she's trained human rights activists in Australia, led strategy for organizations like Planned Parenthood, the Women's March, uh, and MSNBC, and she ran a training program for political operatives the Washington Post called the Hogwarts of the Democratic Party. She's questioned Obama about policy on MTV and been on The Daily Show. Now, Bridget explored feminist activism with the two million listeners of her podcast, Stuff Mom Never Told You, which is where I found Bridget, and she currently works with Afropunk, a music and culture festival to produce a global salon where she's hosted folks like Angela Davis, Ava DuVernay, and Me Too creator Tarana Burke. Her work has been covered in Teen Vogue, and she was named a notable woman in politics by Paper Magazine. Now, is as if you couldn't tell from that bio, Bridget Todd is a bad 
ass. Hi, mm-hmm. Bridget. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Kylie. Thank you so much Hi. for having me. Thank you for coming on. So as I mentioned in your intro, I first discovered you from your podcast, Stuff Mom Never Told You. Can you explain what that podcast was about for people who unfortunately aren't familiar? Yeah. So that show was really all about breaking down how feminism kind of intersects with our everyday lives, whether it's through making your voice heard at the polls and what's happening in politics or smaller things like why the pockets on your jeans are so small if you're wearing women's pants, you know? Feminism really plays out in our lives in so many different ways. And rather than pretending like that isn't the case, we should talk about it. So um, my work there was really about sort of making feminist activism fun and accessible and really opening folks' eyes to the way that it shapes our everyday experiences. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it was amazing. And that's how I fell in love with you and have been stalking you ever since. <laughs> but I feel like it, it is very apropos for this discussion because I, you know, imposter syndrome does affect women on a much higher rate than it affects men. So sort of first listening to Kylie's story here, what are your initial thoughts? Well, my first thought is that, you know, well, first I just want to say I am someone who has dealt with imposter syndrome quite a bit. I think that all women have. Um, So you're not alone. You know, the stat that you threw out earlier did not surprise me. Um, I also kind of wanted to just sort of unpack it a little bit because, you know, I don't know what the demographics of your medical school programs that you've been accepted to look like. I would be willing to bet that there's more men than women in those programs. You know, medicine tends to be a very male-dominated field in a lot of cases. And so I think it's worth acknowledging that the reason, one of the reasons why you might be feeling this way is just that you are a woman going into a space where traditionally women are not focused, where women are not, you know, promoted, where it's harder for women. And so it's, you know, it's not your fault that you are sort of, that we're all sort of like living in a sexist society where where women have to work harder to get into these spaces. And so kudos for you for doing that work and getting into that space. Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. But it's also not, not surprising that you would be feeling like, oh, do I belong here? Like, is this, mm-hmm. am, did I get here under my own, you know, on my own, on my own merit, on my own hard work? Because these spaces can be hostile to women. Um, right. I, I also want to say that I, I think that one of the most important things, one of the fir- most important first steps for tackling imposter syndrome is displaying the kind of vulnerability in talking about it that you're displaying here on the show. You know, um, when I dealt with imposter syndrome, I often you know, I got really caught up in this idea that I had to not only be successful, but I had to make it look effortless. I had to make it seem like I never had those dark times, those hard Mm -hmm. times, those times where I questioned myself. And that's BS, right? Like opening up about it and talking about how you feel, I think is the first step of moving through it. And not only that, other people who are who are looking at, at you, people who are saying, wow, Kylie got into two good medical schools and she knows she's going to kick ass at her interviews. She deals with imposter syndrome because she told me about it. I, I feel less alone when I'm dealing with it. Like, honestly, you never know who is looking at you um, as, a, as a kind of peer mentor or like an idol. Like, you, don't, you never know who is kind of like inspired by your story. And so you being honest Absolutely. about the ups and downs that come with your journey to medical school, I think is really important. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting point. They're talking about it more because like I mentioned at the, at the start of this podcast, like it is scary when you feel like a fraud 
to admit you feel like a fraud because you're scared of being like, quote unquote, found out. But Mm -hmm. I think a sort of like secondary benefit to displaying your vulnerability and showing that example like Bridget's talking about to other young women, the secondary benefit is when you start saying, I feel like a fraud, I feel like I don't deserve this, and you start listing the reasons why, what usually happens is you realize you do deserve it, right? Mm -hmm. When you start through, wait, why do, why do I feel this way? What have I done to get here? You start realizing that you actually have done quite a bit to get where you are and that you actually deserve it. Bridget, I'm curious from you, why does this affect women more? I know, you know, you talked about Kylie going into more male dominated fields, but women in every field experience this, even if they're, you know, stay at home moms, right? Who are feeling like they're not a good mom. They're a fraud at what they're doing. Why does it affect women on such an enhanced scale? I think that's a great question. I think a big part of it is just that as a society, we teach women that we're never enough. So even if you are mm. killing it at work, you've never made a mistake at work, you know, are you a bad mom? You know, even if you are the world's best mom, oh, you don't have a career. There's, there's always something, we're always doing something that makes it so that we're not measuring up. And so I think that yeah. because that's, the, the, that's like the trip of living in a sexist society, it's so easy to internalize these voices and say like, no matter what I'm doing, I could always be doing it better. I could always be doing it, you know, smarter. I could always be more successful. I think that we just internalize that regardless of what kind of field we're in or whether we, you know, work outside the home or whatever. I just think that that is a part of being a woman is just getting so many signals from society about how you're, how you don't measure up. And I think it's work to unlearn, to unlearn that. It's work to learn how to turn that off. You know, I think that for me personally, I went through this thing for a long time and I'm still sort of learning how to, how to not do it, where when someone compliments me, kind of like what Hannah was just saying, instead of saying like, oh yeah, I worked really hard and that's why I did well, I kind of put on this like false thing of like, oh, it's just a fluke or like, oh yeah, I got mm-hmm. lucky. And it really, I'm really doing myself a disservice because I am not being honest about the fact that I want things and I work for them and that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. I think another way that sort of, another trap that society sets for women is that it's sort of not cool to like want things and work Mm -hmm. hard. Um, You know, if you are successful, it has to be effortlessly successful. You have to sort of seem like you don't really care about it. Um, And that's not fair. It's a trap that society sets up for us to make us kind of um, betray our own hard work, our own sense of selves and our own identity. And it can be really hard to learn how to unlearn that, especially once you've internalized it. Right. Absolutely. I heard, um, I don't remember when I first started, when I took my first women's studies class in college, she gave this example about ducks on water. Like we have to look like we're floating, but underneath the water, we're like paddling really, really quickly. But you're, you're right. We do have to quote, like kind of make it look like we're, we don't really care that much. It's just, Oh, it just kind of happened. We're not working that hard. Um, and so I think, I think that's a really good point. What I think was really interesting, Kylie, in your story is that started happening when you started actually gaining success. And that's a really, really common pattern. But why is that, Bridget? Is it because we don't think we're enough for it? 
I think that's a big part of it. I think not feeling like we're enough for it, feeling like, you know, oh God, like now I, ha now I have this like successful thing I need to do and I I'm not going to be able to handle it. So I'm going to like mm. mess it up or like drop the ball. I know that's how I often feel. Like when something good comes into my life, I'm like, oh no, like how am I going to, to mess this up? Um, and I think it just really comes down to learning how to move through those feelings because those feelings are normal. Everyone feels like that sometimes and that's okay. So don't, you know, don't beat yourself, beat yourself up about feeling that way, but it's important to acknowledge those feelings and move through them and say like, right. yep, that's just my, you know, that's just me responding to this society that tells me, that reminds me constantly of all the ways that I am not enough. Um, this is a normal reaction to that kind of, those kinds of messages and I'm going to move through it. Um, right. You know, for another thing for me that was really helpful was learning how to recognize and turn off or reframe negative self-talk. So I can really spin out of control with like, I'm never going to be good enough. I don't deserve this. Like I'm going to mess this up, blah, blah, blah. And how you talk to yourself really matters. Like, like you wouldn't let someone else talk to you that way or talk to your best friend that way. If, if someone talked to your best friend the way that you talk to yourself and you're feeling self-doubt, you'd be like, hey, don't talk to my friend like that. So treat yourself mm -hmm. like your own best friend. And when you hear yourself or feel yourself going into that negative self-talk spiral, say, hey, I'm not going to talk about myself that way. I got this. Right, right. Does, does that resonate with you, Kylie? Absolutely. I think one major part, a point that Bridget made that's really sticking with me is kind of unlearning these thinking patterns. And I'm, you know, I, I want for myself and for everybody who's listening too to have, you know, practical steps they can take mm -hmm. to kind of unlearn those thinking patterns. So I'm happy to disclose about two weeks ago, I started counseling because I really needed a space where I could you know, say what I was saying to myself in my head and kind of have someone to bounce it off to hear how crazy it was. Um, but I also have read a lot of articles about, you know, kind of saying why you think you're a fraud and then writing that down and then picturing yourself telling people that and how silly that is, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But there's no, there's no like 10 steps to overcoming imposter syndrome, you know? Or is mm -hmm. there? I don't know. So that's kind of my question is those practical things. And I obviously, I suggest therapy and counseling to everybody because I just think it's amazing for, for everything in life. But uh, I, I don't know. Do you have any tips or, or ideas for other practical steps I can take? Yeah, I would say I just want a plus one therapy. Like, yeah. I know that, you know, I a thousand percent would not be where I am professionally you know, in, in so many other ways in my life as well, if not for consistent therapy. So like plus a thousand for that. Um, it makes me sad that we live in a country or live in a world where like, it's not always accessible for everybody. And sometimes it can be very mm -hmm. difficult. And so I just want to acknowledge that, but like, I'm very lucky that it's something that I'm able to make work in my life. And, um, you know, I, I could not amplify that message enough. Um, I would also say, you know, something that was really useful for me, like a practical sort of tip writing about it was really useful like right like mm -hmm. writing about my deepest darkest you know you know when you're trying to get to sleep at night and you're kind of consumed by like oh I said that, that obnoxious thing nine years ago or you know oh I answered this question in a meeting and I, my answer was completely weird yeah. 
Yep. Writing those things down so you so that they, they sort of don't have that power over you anymore. Mm. I, I love that mm-hmm. you want that on your kids. I think it's really helpful. Um, I guess also think I now, this is going to sound maybe a bit strange, but I remember one time a colleague was giving me feedback on something that I had written. And, you know, some of the feedback was good and some of the feedback was bad. And what's interesting to me was all of the good feedback, I was like, oh, he's just being nice, like, Mm. He doesn't actually think that like I'm very good at describing this or right. that. all of the bad feedback. I was like, yeah, of course, like I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at that. And so learning how to believe in the good things that you know about yourself, like you said that you know that when you have these interviews, you're going to kick ass. Learning how to trust that as much as you trust the like negative things that you might think about yourself or the negative things that come up, but, you know. We all, it's, it's so easy to only give credence to the bad things, but we need to reframe that so that we're also putting stock in the good things that people say about us and the good things that we think about ourselves and have, the, have that right. be just as important. Right. Yeah, that is so, so important. I think one of the things too there is really taking time to celebrate those good things, right? Celebrate those. Like I, I struggled with this with... Um, internet trolls. So when I would get a negative comment, I'd be like, I'm an idiot. I'm horse faced. I'm ugly. You know, whatever they said to me. But when somebody was like, Hey, thanks so much for your work. I'd be like, Oh, that's nice. You know, scroll to the next one, but you don't give the same sort of weight to the positives and really celebrating those successes and celebrating yourself and figuring out what that means for you. Like for me, Celebrating myself means cookie dough and Real Housewives. But for you, <laughs> going out and going to a nice dinner or you know going to a party, whatever it may be, but celebrating those successes and having gratitude for those successes. Something that Brene Brown talks about is we when we get something good, right? The second we have something amazing in our lives, we're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. I do this all the time. I'm constantly... Mm-hmm. When I got my puppy, which I wanted forever, I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest day. And I just stared at him and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to get sick. I'm not going to be able to take care of him. He's going to get hit by a car. He's going to, you know, I just started going Mm -hmm. into all of these different things because I was waiting for something to pull me back down because it felt Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. But instead of taking a step back being like, look at this creature. I'm so grateful for this moment. I'm so grateful for... Like I worked hard because I wanted to get enough, you know, get enough financial security, secure place to have a dog. So I was like, I worked hard to make money so that I could have this creature, you know, whatever it may be. So I think gratitude and and really like Bridget was talking about is celebrating those successes are Mm -hmm. some other really tangible tips, right? So I think those can be really helpful, whether it's in the form of, you know, again, going out and celebrating or just writing it down. Um, I'm I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about here challenging those negative thoughts and challenging those negative patterns. And that says, you said that was something that really resonated with you. But I'm curious from Bridget, what are some ways besides saying, hold up, like, you know, that's not how I want to be thinking right now. What are some other ways that we can challenge those, that cycle that happens to so many of us? I would say one of them goes back to what you were just talking about, which is gratitude. Um, mm. Something that I'm working on in therapy and have worked on for quite a bit is sort of slowing down a little bit. And so 
really being able to, when you get something good, don't just quickly kind of like move to the next thing. Take a minute to like almost like meditate on what that feels like. Like, what does it feel like when you get these acceptance letters? Sort of marinate in that feeling as opposed to moving right to the next feeling, whether it's good or bad. Just being able to slow your emotions down a little bit and really process them has been very helpful for me in not sort of getting something, getting a new opportunity or a new thing in my life and immediately like jumping to the like, how am I going to screw this up? How is this going to blow up my face? Am I a fraud? You know, just learning how to slow down. And so for me, therapy and meditation have been really helpful um, in that regard. I would also say one thing that it might sound strange to bring up in a conversation around imposter syndrome is just the idea that we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes at some point. And so when, when that inevitable mistake gets made, learning how to not have that mistake, like validate that view that you are a fraud and that you aren't right. successful and that you can't do this, learning how to make a mistake and have it not define you and your work and your identity as a you know, right. successful person. Um, that takes, that's hard. It's hard. Um, I once read a quote that was something like, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was something like, what's, it's more important what you do immediately after a mistake than, what, than, than the mistake that got you there. You know, mm -hmm. your next move is important. How you tell yourself that you know, you're going to move through it, keep going, and not have it define you as a fraud or someone who is unsuccessful um, is really, really important. Right. Yeah. And I want to kind of shine a light on something you just said, Bridget, about marinating in those good feelings after you do... Uh, you do achieve that success to sort of like stop that negative process. I think something personally that's helped me is I don't remember who said it. So again, I'm going to butcher this as well, but thinking of your negative emotions like waves. So I don't know if you live near the ocean, but I wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when I go to the ocean, right, the way that you like deal with an oncoming wave is you don't, stand there still or try to fight against it because you will get knocked down. The way to deal with an incoming wave is to dive through it, right? Right. So when I'm feeling negative emotions, I sit with them and I'm like, I imagine myself diving through those waves every time and being like, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I need to, you know, lose weight before I do this, whatever it is that we start going in. And as I imagine myself going through these waves, the waves get smaller and smaller and I stop feeling that way. So actually sitting with the negative emotions rather than being like, get out of here, you know, like trying to push them away because they're just right. and sitting with them can be really, really helpful. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I never thought about the gratitude point as being, you know, a lack of gratefulness. It's more like I expect I expect success and if the highest amount of success and if I do, if I do succeed it's kind of just like checking off the box you know so mm -hmm. it's not that and my faith is really important to me so I'm I'm constantly you know thanking God and saying um you know I feel so blessed to be where I am but it's more it's not that I'm not grateful for it it's just that I expected it and so it's kind mm. of a, a confusing thought process to explain to people because it sounds like I expect greatness, but then I'm saying I doubt myself. So it's, it's counterintuitive, but the truth is that I expect greatness because I'm trying to prove myself wrong. So then when something bad happens, it's kind of like a, 
a reinforcement. And that's why I don't sit with those good thoughts. Because if I did sit with my successes long enough, I would invalidate this fear of incompetence or being inadequate, you know? So um, definitely I have to start doing that more and just, you know, celebrating the successes instead of thinking them as of thinking of them as a to-do list. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I also think what's really important and, and Bridget, you can let me know your thoughts on this. I also think it's really important to have gratitude for your mistakes and have gratitude for your pitfalls because every time you go through them, you learn something and it shifts your direction, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not rejection, it's redirection. And right. so having gratitude for those moments, uh, I write that in my journal every single morning. I'm like, I am so grateful for the turbulence and chaos that mm-hmm. I have been through because that's what's gotten me here today. And it's right. I want and it's taught me what I don't want. You know what I mean? So, right. so I think that's really important too. Bridget, you're shaking your head. Do you agree with me? Oh my God. You said a mouthful. I mean, <laughs> like I'm so grateful for my mistakes. Like when, when young people ask for advice, like about, you know, life advice, one of the things I tell them is learn how to make mistakes and like mm-hmm. go out and make some. Probably the thing that I would have considered my biggest life mistake a few years ago is, uh, Drop, having to drop out of grad school. I was in a PhD program where I, it was like such a, such a bad fit for me. And it was one of those situations where every day I would wake up and be like, I'm so miserable, what am I gonna do? And I was like losing a lot of money and like my parents really wanted me to finish this program, but I knew I couldn't and it was horrible. And when I dropped out, I really thought like, well, you know, I ruined my shot at having a successful life. You know, I had this opportunity and I blew it. And for a while, I really thought like, my one chance to be successful had come and gone in me not being able to complete graduate school. Looking back, dropping out of graduate school was the best choice I ever made. At the time, it was like very hard and, you know, it was tough to get out of it. But getting into that, pro- getting into that program that wasn't a good fit and then leaving, I like almost, I, I, think, I think about that almost every day you know, mm-hmm. as such a turning point in my life. And so if I had not made that big life mistake and like big financial mistake and big, like it was a mistake in a lot of ways If I had not done that, I would not be where I am today. So I'm so, so kind of grateful for that mistake. Um, right. And I think that honestly, I think a, a way to think about this is that for a lot of us, I think life gets made in those messy times where you're not sure or you're, you know, you're feeling uncertain. That's where we can grow. That's where we can learn about ourselves. And so I, I would say like, don't shy away from those feelings, even if working through them is like complicated. And it sounds like for you, it is complicated. Um, don't shy away from them because that's where growth often is, you know, on the other right. side of that. Um, Elaine Wolteroff has this great quote, everything we want is on the other side of fear. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about it as a wave, like going through that wave, what you want, whether it's a career success or personal growth or learning about yourself is on the other side. So you got to go through that wave to really get there. Absolutely. Yeah. So Kylie kind of, kind of underscoring what Bridget just said, like this moment you're, you're in transition now, right? You are in that moment now of that chaos, right? Of that, being uncomfortable. Transition is mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Um, so are there things that you feel like you can sit with now and grow with 
now during this period. I, I took a yoga class once where the teacher uh, said something that just stuck. I just started bawling in class. Okay. She said this. She said, what you do between the poses are just as important as the pose itself. And she's mm -hmm. probably talking about yoga, maybe. And I was like, this is transformative for my entire life. <laughs> getting that acceptance, getting to medical school, get medical school, getting your match. It's what you do in between those, you know, quote unquote poses. So are right. there things you feel like, you know, given the tips that we've gotten from Bridget today, are there things that you feel like you can kind of take from this discussion now and do in this moment of, of transition? Absolutely. I think first and foremost, I'm being in college. I was pre-med and I played basketball, so it was, and I worked. So I was constantly going, 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 going. Talk about a high achiever. <laughs> <laughs> I was tired and it benefited me in a lot of ways, honestly, because I didn't have time to fit, sit with my negative thoughts or positive thoughts. I didn't have time to sit with myself at all because I was going, going, going. So I think part of the reason why I'm so uncomfortable right now, absolutely, is because I'm in a transition. I mean, I'm literally packing you can't get any more in a transition than that. Um, you know, planning what day I'm going to leave, et cetera, et cetera. But I think beyond that too, is just that I've never had so much time to sit with my thoughts. Mm. And I think that's partly why this imposter syndrome flared up too, after I got my acceptances. Cause again, that's kind of when things were calming down. You know, it was before when I was filling out the applications and I was getting my travel, travel stuff ready and studying up on the school. Um, so during this time, I think it, it is really important for me to, like Bridget said, actually sit with my feelings, not just sit with them, but work through them, you know, and again, counseling, I, I've only been going for two weeks, but in the two weeks I've gone, it's been incredible. And I do think I need to write down some of my thoughts more often because I think I'll see how crazy they are on paper. Um, but also just that, that actual feeling of getting them out of my head will be helpful. And definitely gratitude. I actually have a gratitude journal here and I'm so embarrassed I've had it for like two years, but I've never opened it. So this will probably be a good time. Honestly, I've never opened it because I said I didn't have time for it. Um, but now I do have time for it and I feel like it's staring at me right now. Um, so I'll definitely open that and start with that too. I do have one more question for you guys. Oh, please. Um, okay. So, you know, kind of entering medical school, right. And, and going into my first class and going into my first test and meeting my peers, et cetera, et cetera. How, and what spaces, how do I determine in what spaces I'm, to be vulnerable and honest, like I'm being right now and say, yeah, I don't know. Is it just me or is like everybody around us completely perfect? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't make my bed every morning or when do I fake it until I make it, you know, and just walk with my head up and the utmost confidence, you know, in what spaces do I determine what is the correct, not even the correct, but the most useful or the most helpful way mindset to have. Bridget, I'll let you take this away and then I'll give my two cents. Wow. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. So this is something that I, I work on in my own work quite a bit. First of all, I want to say that the question 
I, I'm happy that you asked this question because it really does reflect the sort of sophisticated way that you're looking at this. So I was sort of like, wow, what a good question. Um, you know, in a professional scenario, it's always smart to be thinking kind of in this savvy way of like, do I want to reveal X? Do I want to reveal Y? Like, how can I, you know, walk this line of sort of being authentic and being honest, but also like making myself look professional. Um, right. That's a, it's, it's a very real and like complicated minefield to navigate, I think. Especially as a woman. I have been really trying to practice what I'm kind of calling professional radical honesty. And so, you know, certainly I don't want my peers to be thinking, wow, Bridget is a basket case. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want to be that person who knows how to talk about her fears, her anxieties and her flaws in a way that might make someone else feel like, oh yeah, we're all in this together. Like when I was in graduate school, the people who, there were, all the, there were always these people who appeared to have it all together, always did the reading, you know, managed to go for a run before class, like brought a, brought like a um, meal prep to like meal to our, to our like late night seminars, like that person who like never seemed to, to, to falter. And the people that I really, really like gravitated toward for people who were talked honestly about like what they were experiencing, what they were feeling. Um, And they've actually done studies. I wish I had one off the top of my head that show that in workplace settings, talking about your mistakes makes a real impression on those around you. And so, you know, I would say you don't need to, you don't need to, you know, talk about things that like, are best suited to like your journal or your therapist with everybody. But I think you can find that balance of, you know, being authentic. Like you, like, I feel like, you know, when you are speaking authentically to yourself, that you're not betraying yourself by saying something or lying to yourself by saying something. And when you hear yourself say something to your peers or to your professors or whatever, you know, when you are being authentic to like how you actually genuinely feel and when you're not. So I would say like, trust yourself, trust your gut, Trust your ability to like know how to navigate that. And in general, like trust your ability to figure this shit out. Oh, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. Trust your ability to figure this shit out because I think that's really important, like trusting yourself. Right. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with what Bridget said. I, I think there's a, a line, of course, between vulnerability and oversharing. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I think that that's important. But again, like uh, the, when I think about my closest friendships, especially in my industry that is so ridiculously competitive. Um, I think about the people who are the most vulnerable and the people who talk about like real, real shit. You know what I mean? And people who are, are willing to talk about when they're feeling scared, when they're feeling um, overwhelmed. And those are the people that I gravitate towards because I'm like, oh, like this is a real human. Right. Um, you know, like I mentioned to you, off camera, but my, my sister's in medical school, right? And her closest friends are not the ones who are talking about how they have it all figured out and they know how to study and they already, you know what I mean? It's the people who are like, wow, this is really hard. Right. This is a lot of pressure. And those are the people that you're going to want to be friends with. I think there's a line between, you know, going to a professor and being like, I have no idea what I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> but, but to your friends, like, what I think you'll find and what all of us, whether you're going to medical school or not, what all of us find when we open up about our insecurities and about, you know, our fears in life, 
What I've always personally found is that the other person is like, yeah, me too. Yeah. And they're right. like, thank God, somebody put this and put this out there and gave me space too to feel like I'm not alone. Definitely. Right. Um, so, I have a, oh, sorry. No, go, go. Oh, um, so when I was doing stuff I never told you, my old co-host, uh, Emily, friend of mine, podcaster, uh, there was one day where we were um, in the studio and I didn't have my script written. I didn't have my research docs done. Like I was just like not, my head wasn't in the game. And we, you know, we were on the mic together and it was like, start, stop, start, stop. Like, oh, oh. And then eventually I was like, you know, I'm so sorry that I wasn't prepared for you today. Like, I feel like I let you down, but I'm going through a, a kind of a nasty breakup. And I just like, my head's not in it. And I was so afraid to tell her, I was so afraid of looking like someone who was like a mess because I wasn't prepared because I was going through a breakup that I didn't even tell my own, I was like nervous to tell my own co-host this. And she was like, oh, of course you're not able to sort of show up as your best self today because, you know, you're going, you're like, you're like in a weird place with your breakup. Like it's natural that you would be having a hard time getting your professional stuff together, of course. And it was really one of the first times that I was given permission to see my professional work and my like other kind of like life work as things that would impact each other. And her giving me that freedom to be a person who has a personal life and family stuff and work stuff and health stuff and friend stuff. And I show up, you know, with all of that stuff with me because I'm a human. Her giving me that freedom was really powerful for me that I don't have to Mm -hmm. pretend like, you know, I drop all that stuff at the door when I arrive to work or whatever, but those things are a part of me. They make up who I am. And, you know, learning how to work through all of those things was really, really, really important. Right. Yeah. I think, I think sort of the moral of this episode as we sort of sum up here is just sort of like acceptance and sort of allowing yourself to feel. So allowing yourself to feel like you're a fraud and then working through that, allowing yourself to have gratitude and celebrate those moments, like allowing yourself to have a personal life and have a bad day, allowing yourself to make mistakes. Like it seems like that seems to be like the common theme here because as women, we're so hard on ourselves 24 seven and it's not our fault. Society's hard on us and that's why we're hard on ourselves, but allowing ourselves to have space, right? You know, allowing ourselves to be in transition and not always having to go, go, go and have it all figured out. So what I, my hope for you, Kylie, and for everybody listening here is to allow yourself to have space, whatever you're going through, allow yourself to be in transition, allow yourself to have shitty days and allow yourself to have flipping awesome days that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to ride this high forever rather than being like, what's next? Exactly. Yeah. So I know what's next for you is so, so great, Kylie, but I know that this moment of transition and this period of transition is going to also be so transformative for you as well. I want to thank you both so much for being here, Kylie, for opening up and being so vulnerable. I know your vulnerability in this conversation here is going to help so many other women and people listening to this episode. And Bridget, thank you so much for helping us own our successes and tell the voices in our head to shut up. Um, (laughs) You can find Bridget on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC on Twitter at Bridget Marie and check out her next solution session on afropunk.com. I will link that all in the description. If you have a question and want to be featured on the next episode, 
please send me a DM to at Hannah Cranston or email tmthshow at gmail.com. Again, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review this podcast. It really does make a difference. And just a reminder, we'll be coming at you every Wednesday. So buckle up because it's going to be too much to handle. See you next week. Ah!